I'm excited to be uh, diving back into our message series that we started last week through uh, the little book of Titus. And so I'd like to encourage you, if you have a Bible, either in print or on your device, now would be a great time to head to Titus. It's a small little book in your New Testament towards the back of your Bible. God willing, we'll finish up chapter one today. Um, just in case you missed last week, let me catch you up really quickly. Titus uh, is actually a letter originally. Uh, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege named Titus. And uh, if you don't know Paul's story, the Apostle Paul's story, uh, it's one of the most fascinating stories of life change uh, that you'll ever come across. Uh, Paul, for those of you who are familiar with this story, know Paul was an angry man. Paul was a violent man who despised Jesus and he hated his church. And so Paul spent literally his life killing and imprisoning Christians as he uh, tried to snuff out the Jesus movement in its early stages. But Jesus uh, wasn't done with Paul. And so Jesus pursued uh, Paul. He appeared to him one day and absolutely just uh, revolutionized his life. And Paul was never the same. After that day, he spent the rest of his life uh, just preaching this resurrected Jesus to anybody who would listen and then planting churches for all these new believers to grow in their faith. And one of the places that the Apostle Paul went to preach this resurrected king, Jesus, was an island named Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And as we said last week, uh, Crete was a really hard place. The Cretans were uh, worldwide just famous for their immorality, for their dishonesty, for their laziness and their greed. So uh, Crete was not the place that you would have wanted to go, particularly as a young pastor uh, like Titus. And yet Paul and Titus uh, go to Crete to this crazy messed up place. And Paul preaches uh, the good news of the gospel, right? This, this truth that there actually is a God in heaven who loves people and he loves people uh, fiercely, even as rebels and sinners, which by the way, we all are. And even in that, even then, that's who we are. He came to rescue us. He sent Jesus into our mess to live the life that we should have lived, to die a brutal death, to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he rose again on the third day to crush death and to give us freedom through his resurrection. And people, even in wicked Crete, many people heard this message of hope, that there's a God of love, and they believed, and they began to follow Jesus. And so churches were planted. Paul leaves Crete to go to other places to preach the same message of love and hope, and he leaves young Titus behind to set in order the churches, these brand new churches that are being established. And as we saw last week, Paul tells Titus, the very first step to build a healthy church is to establish godly leaders, qualified elders to shepherd the church and to teach the word rightly and to correct false teaching that was absolutely just ripping apart these brand new churches as we're about to see. And so let's dive in with that backdrop in place. Titus chapter one, beginning in verse 10. This, this is the apostle Paul writing. Paul says this, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And so we see right off the bat that the church in Crete was facing some serious problems. Now, every church and every generation faces its own challenges. The biggest problems for the church in that day, as well as our day, typically don't come from outside the church, right? The stuff that tends to destroy us and rip us apart is our own sin, right? It's the disease inside the church that destroys, not outside the church. 
And yet so often it seems like churches can be so focused on the sin of the world outside these walls that we can miss what's actually killing us inside of our own family. And that is precisely what's happening in Crete. You see, Crete was absolutely crawling with these false teachers, many of whom had already infiltrated these brand new churches. And what Paul is gonna do right now is he's gonna give us several characteristics of false teachers. So uh, dangerous teachers, and by the way, these are the same marks of false teachers in our day as well. Many of them, these false teachers, Paul says, are insubordinate, right? It's this idea of a disloyal soldier. It's this idea of a, a soldier who trains, is a soldier who wears the uniform, but when it's time to go into battle, he refuses to follow the orders of his commanding officer. So Paul's describing these people who will not submit to sound teaching, doctrine, people who will not submit to godly leaders that God has placed in the church. These are just rebellious people who cause division. And Paul would say of these people, listen, you need to, Titus, you need to watch out. You need to be careful. These are, these are toxic people to a healthy church. So that's the first mark of a false teacher. Paul also says these false teachers are empty talkers. So these are, these are people who are just sort of pointless babblers, right? Have you ever been around somebody who uh, you talk to them and uh, maybe they sound really smart and maybe they use a lot of big words, but they can talk all day long, but they actually say nothing at all. You ever been around anybody like that? Don't look at your spouse right now. That would be a bad, that would be a bad move. Like a lot of politicians are, are professionals at this, right? Useless babble, empty talk. Uh, I even listen to some popular uh, preachers in our culture. Man, and I tell you, they can get on a stage and they can talk for an hour and they can, they can whip up a crowd into a frenzy and never actually say anything at all. I mean, just empty babble, rubbish. And Paul says, these are dangerous people. You need to be careful. Don't be fooled by these teachers. He says, another, another mark of these false teachers is that they're deceivers. These are not people of the truth. They're just dishonest people. They lack character. And then Paul points out to Titus exactly, precisely who these people are. So Paul, you, know, you just gotta love Paul, right? He's like, man, in case you're wondering who they are, I'm just gonna name them for you. He says, man, they're the people of the circumcision party. Now you may be thinking what I was thinking. You might be thinking, hey, I know what circumcision is. And that doesn't sound like much of a party to me. And you would, you would be right. But this was, this was actually a reference to a group of people known as the Judaizers. You remember, we studied through the book of Galatians this summer, and we talked a lot about the Judaizers. Paul addressed them in great detail, but these Judaizers, these people of the circumcision party, as it were, they were legalistic Jewish people who were known to infiltrate these brand new churches full of excited and yet young believers, and they would lie to them. And here, here's the lie that they would tell them. And it's a lie that I'm afraid many of us in the American church have also bought. The lie, the lie went like this. Jesus is important. You need to love Jesus and you need to follow Jesus, but Jesus isn't enough. He's not enough. His grace is not enough for you. And so, yes, you, you need Jesus on the one hand. You need to love him and need to follow him, but you also, you also gotta follow all of these religious rules over here in order for God to love you. And so the lie was, you need more than Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is about to absolutely lace into these false teachers in a ferocious way, not because Paul hates them, but ultimately because he loves these new believers and he wants to protect them. 
wants to shepherd them, and he's also doing it, as we're going to see, for the sake of the false teachers themselves. And by the way, church, this wasn't a problem just 2,000 years ago on an island named Crete. This is a problem today in 2018 in Asheville, right? I mean, you can turn on the TV almost any evening. You can turn on the radio. You can listen to podcasts. You can go watch this stuff on YouTube. Listen, there are a lot of hucksters out there, right, selling half-truths and whole lies, just deceiving people, and so often it's for personal gain or greed, And so our hope as your leaders here at New Life is to fill you up with so much of what's right, with so much sound teaching and correct doctrine, even the hard stuff that maybe you don't wanna hear, that when you hear or see the fraudulent stuff, you can just sniff it out right away, right? I've been told that uh, counterfeit specialists that work for the US government, these professionals that are trained to detect fraudulent bills and money, Uh, they don't train by looking at fraudulent bills and fakes, right? They train by looking at the real thing thousands, tens of thousands of times. And they get so familiar with the real thing that when they see a fraud, they might not even know what's wrong with it, but they can just instinctively tell something is wrong with that. That's not right. That's what we're trying to do here at New Life. Now, just a word of caution, I think it's easy for us especially for those of us who have been followers of Christ for a while, perhaps we grew up in the church, it's easy for us to begin to think of the people that Paul is describing here, these false teachers, as other people. Like people that we could never become like. But friend, I just wanna warn you, we need to be careful that we don't, in our ignorance, become like these people. See, because here's what I've learned. Pharisees never see themselves as Pharisees. Do you know that? They never see themselves as Pharisees. They're like, I can preach a a message on legalism or these false doctrines or whatever it is. And the very people out there who will be nodding their heads and amening it are oftentimes the people that are most guilty of it. We are just masters of self-deception. We are masters of seeing everybody else's sin around us and being completely blind to our own. And so here's the first truth that I would just like to leave you with this morning. Believer, guard your heart with the truth of the gospel. This isn't just for people who don't know Jesus. This is for us every day of our lives. Believer, make sure you're consistently in the word. If the only time you ever open up the word is when you come here on Sunday morning, I just want to tell you, you're missing the mark. Bathe yourself, immerse yourself in the word. Make sure that you're sitting under godly teachers. Don't just listen to any podcast or YouTube video of a guy who might be popular. Make sure that you're in community with other believers who can help correct, who can help shape our thinking when it goes off course. We constantly need to be reminded of this truth, all of us. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We are professional drifters. And so believer, guard your heart in the gospel. Now, as we get into the next section of the letter, uh, Paul's gonna get a little, a little heated here as he deals with these false teachers, these Judaizers, and he's not gonna mince words. So just a fair warning. If you're the type of person who really likes and appreciates people who shoot straight, you're really gonna like Paul. If you're the type of person who prefers a little sugar coating, you may struggle here just, just a little bit, but I just wanna encourage you, you need to hear what Paul's gonna say here as well. Because the reality is this, we all need, every single one of us need at least one person in our lives that will shoot straight with us. You know what I mean? 
We all need at least one person who is, who is willing to say the hard things to us that we don't want to hear because they love us enough. Paul is that guy in the New Testament. And so it's always wise to just kind of buckle your chin strap when you uh, read Paul. So that's the disclaimer. Uh, let's get into it. Verse 11, here he goes. Paul says, they, talking about these false teachers, these Judaizers, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by the teaching uh, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now that's pretty brutal. Paul says, hey, Titus, these false teachers are ripping these young churches apart. And you need to establish elders. You need to establish leaders, put them in place to silence these false teachers. And that Greek word for silence literally can mean muzzle. <laughs> so Paul is saying, Titus, muzzle those bad boys, right? Don't, don't allow them to destroy the bride of Christ, the church. Shepherd them, protect them by silencing those who would divide and deceive. And then Paul's gonna kind of pull back the curtain a bit for us so that we can see what's going on. He says these false teachers are upsetting entire families, whole families by teaching for shameful gain. So Paul says, listen, these false teachers are in it for their glory. They're in it for their wealth. They're driven by greed and they're ripping these families apart by teaching this garbage. Now, whether Paul was actually referring to faith families that they were ripping apart, like churches, or actual nuclear families, we don't know. Perhaps both. But you could just imagine, like if you grew up in a wicked, depraved place like Crete 2,000 years ago, right? You could just imagine you probably would be living a pretty selfish lifestyle. You probably would be living a pretty hopeless life. And then a guy like Paul shows up, teaching with great authority, and he says, listen, I got a message of hope for you. In the middle of this chaos, I want you to know there is a God in heaven. And he loves you and he made you. But you are separated from him because of your sin. That's bad news. The good news is Jesus came and he lived and he died in your place so that you can now know God. You can be at peace with him. You can become his son. You can become his daughter. That's what we call the great exchange, right? Jesus takes our sin. He takes our guilt. He takes our shame. He takes our punishment and he exchanges that and we get his righteousness in its place. That's beautiful. Jesus in my place. Jesus in your place. That is the gospel. So you can just imagine living 2,000 years ago in a wicked place like Crete and you hear this message of love and hope. And just imagine that you believe it and your entire family believes it. And everything is just going well and it's incredible. And all of a sudden these knuckleheads come in and they start teaching you that you need more than Jesus. And now all of a sudden these new believers are confused and maybe they're arguing with one another. It's causing chaos in their homes, chaos in the church, ripping families apart. And Paul says, Titus, get godly leaders in place in these churches and muzzle these legalistic punks. That's my wording, not Paul's, but that's basically what he was saying there. Paul then quotes from a Cretan poet named Epimenides, right? And Epimenides wrote that Cretans were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And that, by the way, that was their reputation worldwide and they had earned that reputation. In fact, the Greeks formed a, a word, a verb called to cretize, which meant to lie and cheat. 
So you, you, know, you know your reputation is getting bad when people start using your name as a verb for bad stuff, right? You just imagine, man, I can't believe today, man, I just Chris Dillon today. I cannot believe, I'm so ashamed of myself. I just Chris Dillon today. Now, what do you mean? Oh, I kicked a puppy and robbed a bank. And it's like, like, you know, it's like, it's getting bad when people are using your name as a verb for bad stuff. That's what's going on with the Cretans here. It's bad stuff. And Paul says about them, yep, that's true about them. <laughs> that's absolutely true. They are lazy, evil beasts. You say, man, that's, that's kind of cold for the apostle Paul to say that about those people. Well, maybe a little bit, but Paul, I don't think was referring to all the people of Crete, right? We know for a fact that some of them uh, had accepted the message of Jesus. They were growing in their faith. I think he's saying this is true about the false teachers in Crete. These false teachers in Crete are lazy liars and evil beasts. Paul is just saying these are dangerous people who will rip the church apart, who will cause division, who will teach false doctrine. So Titus, appoint elders who will shepherd, love, and protect these people from these false teachers. You say, Chris, that, man, that, that doesn't sound very tolerant to me. Those evil beasts have feelings too. I just wanna say, look, man, if, God forbid, if you were to get, let's say, cancer one day, you were to get cancer or some terrible disease, in that moment when you're sitting across the table from that doctor, in that moment, do you want your doctor to be tolerant or intolerant of those cancer cells in your body? How about you? But I want my doctor to ruthlessly cut that cancer out. I want him to murder those cancer cells, cancer cells. A doctor who doesn't do that is in fact a wicked doctor. Paul is saying, listen, cut the cancer out before it kills the whole body. Like, how do you do that, Paul? Well, he tells us right there. He says, you rebuke them sharply. You, you correct them. But then he says something really fascinating after that. He says, so that, in order that, he's talking about these false teachers, they may be sound in the faith. Did you catch that? Paul doesn't say, Titus, you need to write these guys off. These guys are hopeless, man. Just kick them to the curb. Paul says, listen, Titus, these, these are bad dudes, but so are we. They need Jesus just like we need Jesus. So correct them so that they might believe. So that they would also see that God is good, that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than the lies they're peddling. That he's better than the religion they're chasing. He's better than the riches and the greed they're pursuing in their lives. I love the way uh, William Barclay, a Scottish a theologian uh, put it, and this quote will be on the screens for you. Uh, Barclay says, a Christian is a person who refuses to regard any man as hopeless. The greater the evil, the greater the challenge. It is the Christian conviction that there is no sin too great for the grace of Jesus to conquer. So here's the second truth I want you to walk away with this morning. Christian, never give up on the people that God puts in your life. We just heard the story from Donnie, right? 25 years. Just heard the story from Pam, who thought her life was hopeless, and yet God wasn't finished with them yet. And people in their lives who loved them kept praying and kept loving and kept pursuing. Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase after the one. Yeah, how many people in, in our own lives thought at one point in our lives, we were lost causes? How many people wrote us off at some point in our life? 
I mean, I still, to this day, I will occasionally uh, run into somebody that I knew in high school or my early years in college, and they can't believe I'm a Christian, much less a pastor. Right? They're trying to figure out if I'm lying to them or pulling a joke on them. I mean, I'm serious. If God will leave the 99 to chase the one, should we not do the same with the people that he places in our lives? Believer, never give up. Never stop praying. Never stop chasing. Never stop loving. Never give up. Verse 15, he says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now, this is key. These false teachers were coming in telling these new believers that Jesus wasn't enough. They were telling these brand new Christians, hey, you need Jesus, that's true, but you need to follow all these other religious rules over here to be loved by God. And so don't eat this and don't drink this or you'll be unclean and you'll be unacceptable to God. Do all these things over here, all these religious things over here and God will love you for it. And church, isn't, isn't that the difference between religion and the gospel of Jesus, right? Religion says, obey the rules and God will love you. The gospel says, I am accepted and loved in Jesus, therefore I can obey. Religion says, work your way to God. The gospel says, you can never work your way to God. That's why Jesus did everything on your behalf. So here, here's the deal. Like every other world religion says, it kind of, kind of paints this picture that God is on a mountain. And it's our job in life to work our way up the mountain by doing enough good works and enough good deeds. And if we go to church enough, and if we don't kick any puppies, and if we help homeless people, we do all these things, then maybe, just maybe, when I stand before God one day, it'll be good enough. I'm gonna get up there, and I'm just gonna cross my fingers and hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. But the gospel of Jesus says, listen, you couldn't make it up that mountain to God, and so God came off that mountain for you. Amen. He came to rescue you. He came to find you so that you could be with him forever. And these false teachers believe that you could get to God by cleaning up just the outside of your life, by following religious rules. But Jesus taught something different. Jesus taught something revolutionary. In Matthew 7, Mark 7, Luke 11, Jesus teaches that humans are not defiled by what goes in the body. The human beings are not defiled by what we put in our mouths, but rather we're defiled by what comes out of our mouths because what comes out of our mouths, it reflects what's in our hearts. In other words, Jesus is saying it, it's not about outward religion or good works or trying to be a good person. None of that will ever make you clean before God. None of it. Because God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't care about your religion or good works. God looks at the heart. You see, we all fundamentally have a heart problem, don't we? We are all born broken people into a broken world and nothing we eat or drink or don't eat or drink or wear or don't wear or politician we vote for or don't vote for or whatever. You fill in the blank for what you try to do or don't try to do to make God love you. None of that will fix what's broken in my heart or your heart. None of it. So friend, hear me. Only Jesus can fix that part of us. Only Jesus can, can cleanse the human heart. So when Paul says in that verse, he says, uh, to the pure, all things are pure. The only way we become pure is through Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus said, I am the way, 
I am the truth. I am the life. Life is found in him. A new heart, a new nature, all we desire to be and all that we're ashamed that we're not, all of that is found and all of that is made right in Jesus. In Jesus, he obliterates our, our guilt and our shame and the sin and the stuff in our past that haunts our dreams and the dark stuff that lurks in our heart even today and the thoughts that we're ashamed that we have in Jesus. All of that, he says, is wiped away. And in its place, we get a new life. We get a new beginning and a new heart. Pure in Jesus, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's done on our behalf. Friend, listen to me, you don't need rules. You don't even need religion. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to revolutionize your life and you need him to give you a new heart. And you may be thinking, man, what does any of this stuff have to do with me? I mean, that's, I guess that's interesting. 2,000 years ago, it's false teachers and Jewish religious laws and circumcision this and that and some guy named Paul calling people evil and lazy beast. I guess that's interesting, but how, what, is that, what does that have to do with me, man? I'm, just, I'm trying not to kill somebody in rush hour at 5 p.m. on I-26. Just trying to figure out how to pay for my kids' braces for Pete's sake. <laughs> Let me tell you why this matters so much to you. Their Jesus plus gospel, Jesus plus this list of stuff that they had to do 2,000 years ago is just as alive and just as toxic today as it was then. Now, it may be packaged differently. It may look different in 2018, but at its core, it's the same garbage and it's lethal. That's why people love religion. Did you know that? People love religion because it appeals to our pride. Because we say, man, we just got this list over here and I can do this list. I can go to church. I can give my tithe. I can pray once a day. I can read my Bible once a day. And it's gonna make me right with God. I can save myself and I can stop myself from doing all these things over here. And so I can, I can save myself. It appeals to our pride. Even many of my friends who would claim to be irreligious, like this idea that's very popular among many of my friends in that world and in our culture, this idea of, hey, listen, just, just be a good person, man. Just be a good person. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your belief. Just be a good person and it's all gonna work out in the end. I just wanna say to you, man, like that is a works-based religion for people who don't wanna be religious. It's the same thing. The core idea is I can save myself. I'm good enough to get it done. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, listen, I wanna tell you because I love you, you can't save yourself. Your heart is irreparably broken. Religious people, you can't save yourself. Irreligious people, you can't save yourself. That's the bad news. But the good news is I'm gonna do for you what you could never do for yourself. And that's the hope of the cross and the empty tomb. And that is precisely what Paul is saying here in this letter to Titus and these young believers in Crete, he's saying, look, you can play around in the mud over here all you want, trying to get to God, playing religious games, trying to be a good person, trying not to be religious, whatever it is that you're chasing over here. But I'm just telling you, in either case, what you're looking for, whether you're religious or irreligious, is found in Jesus. He is the answer. He is the solution. And then in verse 16, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, 
and unfit for any good work. This is a haunting truth to me because on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago, as in our day, there are many people who are religious. There are many people who claim to know and love God and yet they deny him by the way they live their lives. And this is a haunting truth to me because there are so many people that I know and I love that would fall into this category. People who know some Sunday school answers but don't know God. People who go to church but don't know God. People who do a lot of good works for a lot of people but don't know God. Many people have deceived themselves into thinking they could just do some good stuff and be okay and that is devastatingly wrong. And the truth is, apart from Jesus, we are what Paul just said we are in verse 16. We are all detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work apart from Jesus. We were all born broken people. We've all chosen our own way over God's way. And yet, Paul says in his letter to the Romans that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our sin, while we were still loving our sin, while we were still embracing evil and darkness, while we were in that state, Jesus loved us enough to die for us and to redeem us so he could call us his sons and daughters and set us free. Oh, what a savior we have, church. Here's the last truth. Here's the third truth. Number three, whether you're here and you're religious or whether you're here and you're irreligious, you find your life in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and Jesus hasn't yet revolutionized your life, I just want you to know that he offers you life today, right now. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary. Everybody who's tired, everybody who's carrying a heavy burden in this life, come to me and I'll give you rest. My burden is light. Come to me. Find life in me. Find peace in me. Find hope in me. Stop striving. Stop fighting for the approval of people and God. I've already done everything for you. Come to me. Rest in me. Find in me all you seek. We get ready to close this morning. I'm gonna invite the band to go ahead and come on up. I'm gonna ask the ushers to go, go ahead and come to the tables. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads with me just for a moment, almost done. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, people honor me with their lips. In other words, there are a lot of people that talk about God. There are a lot of people that appear sincere and religious on the outside. People honor me with their lips. But Jesus says, their hearts are far from me. And he also said in the same gospel, he gives us a command. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Friend, Jesus is the narrow gate. And so here's the question and then we're done. Maybe you're religious, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're irreligious and you hate religion and you hate church, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you've admired the narrow gate from afar 
Maybe you've examined the narrow gate up close. Maybe you've talked about the narrow gate. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've even talked to other people about it. Maybe you know all about the narrow gate, but the question remains, have you ever entered the narrow gate? Have you ever gone all in with Jesus? Because at the end of the day, the thing that will matter most is what you did with Jesus. And I love you enough to tell you, it's not good enough to admire the narrow gate. You have to enter the narrow gate to find life, forgiveness, and freedom in Him. And I want you to know, you can do that today. You can do it right now. So if you're here right now and that's your heart, you're just thinking, man, I don't know what's going on, but God's doing something in my heart. Maybe I've been in church my whole life, but I don't have this. Never have been born again. I've never been given a new heart, and I need this. I know I need this. I'm so tired of trying and fighting. If that's your heart, you just pray a prayer like this. Just say something like, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm a rebel. I know I've made my life all about me. I'm entangled in my own sin. God, I just confess today that I can't do it anymore. I can't save myself. I need Jesus. I trust in him for the first time in my life. I'm giving my life to him. I'm trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of my sin and a new heart and a new life, God. So right now, I just, the best I know how, I give my life wholly to you. I wanna follow Jesus. Church, look up at me. If you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that Jesus promises to cleanse you and give you a new heart. Maybe that's what he's doing in your heart for some of you. For others of you, maybe God is prompting you. Maybe he's pushing you to take another step of obedience in your faith journey. Maybe like Pam, you need to be baptized just to tell the world of what he's done in your life. Maybe you need to take another step. As soon as we're done singing, as soon as we're done taking the Lord's Supper in just a minute, I want you to know we're gonna have some guys up here in the front and we're here to pray with you and for you. It'd be an honor for us. We would love it if we could pray with you and for you. If you can't do that for whatever reason, there's a connect card in your bulletin. Tear that out, fill it out, fold it in half. There's two wooden boxes as you exit with our church logo on them. You just fold that up, drop it in there. We will pray for you this week. If we need to reach out and connect with you and have coffee or talk on the phone, whatever it is, we will do that. But don't leave here until you've settled in your heart what God is telling you to do.